Welcome. Can we just give the Lord an applause this morning? He's a gracious God. And every time I watch that video, it makes me tear up because I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for the grace and the love of Jesus Christ in my life. Amen. Are you thankful? Do you know the Lord? And if you know him, you know that grace. You know that he welcomes us and that he loves us so much. We started this church around 18 and a half years ago with the intent of being sure that people understand that they are welcome to come into the love of God. That's why we planted this church. We wanted people in this community and around the world to know how much God really loves them. We wanted them to understand that they are made for a purpose and that they were made by the Lord to be in a relationship with him. We're in the second week of a series called Invest in the Person. And what we're talking about in this series is we're, we're talking about what it means to actually invest in people. We're not talking about investing in buildings, although we are in a series where we're, where we're going to talk about the need to continue to expand as we've recently had to go to a fourth service. And as God continues to bless us with so many new people and new people who are moving in from all over the country, and we're excited about that. Met some new friends who just moved in from California. And, and, and so many, I met three who moved in, one from California, one from Utah, one from Washington State. That was all just last Sunday, and those are the ones that I I met. And so I'm just excited about that, but we just want you to know that you're welcome here. You're welcome, and we, we hope that you feel uh, just our love and that you feel welcome here today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and while you're turning there, uh, I want to share with you a story. Uh, I, I ran in, right after we started the church, I ran into a friend of mine from high school, and uh, as I will so often do in this area, I grew up in this area, if you don't know that, and uh, I was in Home Depot in Lake Worth, and a friend of mine... Uh, uh, his name is James. We were on the same aisle there, and, and we started talking and uh, just uh, really kind of reconnected to that point. And then I asked him a question that I will often, often ask people, and if you've been around here for a while, you know that whenever I ask this question, I've told you what the response typically is, especially when they know that I'm a pastor. And the question is, how are you? How are you doing? I can ask that question, and if you've been around, you know what the response many times will be, uh, is that uh, tears will begin to well up and people's eyes because what we know is that a lot of people are hurting. A lot of people are going through difficulties in their life. So I asked James, I said, man, how are you doing? And, and he, he, we were kind of exchanging some small talk for a few minutes. And then I asked him how his family was. I said, well, how's your family? You see, here's the deal. Five years earlier, I had done his wedding and, uh, for he and his wife, and uh, they were so happy at the time. And, uh, and this is when tears began to well up in his eyes. And he said, Bart, he said, uh, and he had a hard time talking. Here we are, two men in Home Depot, okay? You don't cry in Home Depot, right? And so he, I mean, he, I could tell he didn't really want to share all this, but he said, Bart, he said, uh, and he said with tears in his eyes, he said, she left me. I had done that wedding. And uh, the, it hurt me so much for him. He said, she left me and she's divorcing me. And I realized at that moment that this wasn't the place for us to get into this. And I said, well, let's exchange numbers. I want to get with you. And I prayed with him right there. And uh, we, uh, we later reconnected at a coffee shop and he began to share with me the story of what was going on in his life. And he shared with me all that was happening there. And he said, I have never in my life felt so broken. And then he said this, I have never in my life felt so alone. And I listened to him for a while. I let him share his story. And I said to him, I said, James, I said, there's a couple of things that I just want to 
you know, that we're sitting here and I just feel like, one, I, I want you to know that you're never meant to go through what you're going through by yourself. And first of all, I know we've talked about this before, but I want to be sure you understand what it means to be in a relationship with God and what that's about. And I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about knowing God in a relationship. I didn't start this church and he knew we had just started a brand new church. Okay. And I told him that. And, uh, and then I said, the other thing is, is I want you to know that you're not meant to go through this alone. God wants to walk with you through this. But the thing is, is that, is that I, I promise you the people who are in this church, this brand new church I've started, that you need some people in your life. You need some people that will walk with you through what you're going through right now. And I've began to share that with him and I could tell immediately whenever I started kind of sharing that with me that there was a little bit of a wall that was going on and I said, I said, so I just want to invite you. I want you to know that you're welcome. I want you to know that, that you won't be judged. And he said, well, I'm just going to kind of tell you. He said, I've, I've had a problem with the church for a long time. And he said, I, I, I went to a church. My parents dragged me to a church. I hated going to this church whenever I was a kid. He said, you had to dress a certain way uh, or you weren't accepted. You had to kind of talk a certain way. And he said, a lot of the people who were there, they kind of acted like they had it all together. And he said, man, I just, once I kind of grew up, I just determined that I just was done with church. I just didn't really feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I was ever going to be accepted in a place like that. And he said, to be frank with you, he said, I've been depressed. And he said, as you can tell, I've gained some weight. And he said, I'm just going to straight up tell you, man, I don't even have the right clothes to go to church. And that was the biggest barrier, really. I think it was something he was using. There was no doubt there were other barriers. But he said, I don't have the right clothes to go to church. And you see, when we started the church, that's one of the things that whenever we planted this out here, we said, we don't want there to be those kinds of walls that people have in their lives whenever it comes to church. We don't want, we don't want people to feel like that's the reason they can't come and be loved by a group of people. And I said, man, I can tell you at EVC, the, the dress code is this, James. It's please do. Wear something, man. All right? I said, I'm even the kind of preacher that's been known to, to get excited and bust my pants while I'm preaching. And man, I'll keep on preaching, all right, if, if nothing's uh, you know being exposed here. And, uh, and I said, so, so I don't want that to be a barrier, man. I promise you that if you come, you will be loved and you will be accepted. I promise you that. And, and, and you know, and I continue to invite him throughout the years and, and here's the sad truth, he never came. And it broke my heart. It broke my heart that that was his perception of the church and that that was the baggage that he had. And I wanna tell you, it was legitimate baggage that he had. Because the reality is, is that, is that there are many people all over who feel that same kind of way, that feel like, well, maybe if I get my act together first, then I can maybe go to a church and maybe I'll be accepted. And, and it just, you know, I, he did acknowledge to me that he was absolutely seeking something in his life. He knew that he needed something. He knew that there was something that he was looking for in his life. But this, this unfortunately had become a barrier to James coming to know the love of God, coming to understand that he is really loved, that he does really matter, that God made him for a purpose. And you know, there are so many people who are in this world, and, and I'm just going to say specifically in our community, who feel the same way that he does, that have that same kind of barrier that has been erected in their lives, that they don't feel like they can overcome. They're seeking something in their life. They know that, that there's something that's missing in, in that relationship with God, and many of them would love to find out more about what that looks like, but the reality is, is that there's a barrier that's there. 
There's a perception that many hold but because of some baggage that maybe they've experienced in church or maybe a loved one's of theirs has experienced and, and maybe they feel like if they come with the stuff that's going on in their life and the brokenness in their life, many feel like they're gonna be judged. Many feel like I, I can never go until maybe I get things right. And we know that that's not the truth. We know what they really need more than anything because we're all broken, right church? We're all broken. We know what they need more than anything is to experience that grace, that love that the Lord has for us. We know that that's what they're looking for in their lives. You know, we've learned that this population in, in, in our area where we started this church uh, since the year 2000 has grown over 300% in population growth. It's still growing. There are over 100,000 people who are now in this area that we planted where we targeted in the 76179, 052, and 131 area codes where we planted we now know this, that 35%, and this is nationwide by the way, but 35% of those people who live, so 35,000 people, all right, you're the mathematicians, not me, all right, 35,000 people would say now they have no religious affiliation. 35,000 would say that in our immediate area, okay, and, and, and that's also nationwide. So that leaves 65,000 people in our immediate area. Let me ask you something. Do you think that the remaining 65,000 are plugged into churches in our area? Absolutely not. In fact, there's not enough churches in this area to seat probably 10,000. And so we're not even touching it, right, in this area of the people who need to know that welcome home love of God. We're not even coming close to this, right? They're seeking, and the question is this, okay? I mean, first of all, the key is this. I want you to write this down if you're taking some notes, is that the church, we are called to be a bridge. We are not called to be a wall. The church should be a bridge, not a wall, for people who are seeking something in their life. We're supposed to be a bridge to that love. Love of God. We're supposed to imitate that love of God, show people what the love of God looks like. And in many ways, we as believers, what I think needs to happen is that we as believers, we need to rediscover the grace of God in our lives. We need to understand how much we are loved because when you get how much you are deeply loved by God, and we also need to discover this, when you begin to get that for yourself, you realize you start having the heart of God, you start looking around and seeing people the way God sees them, and you realize this, that they need that same love in their life. Your life begins to not just revolve around you. We looked at that in Colossians, but it revolves around the lordship of Jesus in your life. And so we wanna, we're called metaphorically speaking to be a church. And by the way, the church is not the building, amen, right? You're the church. We're called to be a church that is, that is known for hanging those sheets up on the front porch so people who are in this community feel like they are welcome feel like we want them here, amen, right? That they are loved in spite of the mess that might be in their life because we all have mess in our lives. We're all broken. We know that they're seeking. The question is this, will we be a bridge or will we end up being a wall? Are you, are you one that's building a bridge for people to come to know the Lord, or are you one that has erected a wall for people? You've become a barrier uh, to, to people coming to know the love of God. 
Well, we're gonna look at this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 15, and, and as we begin to dig in, let me give you some context on this. I wanna take you to this passage, and, and Jesus is, is, is known for building bridges with people who are quote unquote sinners, right? We're all sinners. Everybody's a sinner, but Jesus was known for building bridges, building relationships. The scripture says in describing him that he came to seek and save the lost, amen? He's seeking. He's not taking a passive role. He's seeking them, seeking us. So he's going to tell this story because he's being criticized by a group of religious people who are called the Pharisees. They are criticizing him because he's hanging out with notorious and known sinful people. Because he said, I I came, the healthy don't need a doctor, those who are sick need a doctor. They're the ones that need to know this truth, which we're all sick, right? We're all sick with sin. But Jesus would say this as he's being, as he's being uh, criticized. And see, there were, there were two groups of people that he was going to be speaking to. And these groups of people that he's talking to, they had a misconception and, a, and, and their perception was off about the love of God. So Jesus was going to tell them a story. He was going to actually tell them three stories. He was the masterful teacher. And he would use these stories to really just resonate with the hearts of his listeners. And so he's going to tell this story. Now, one of the groups was the religious people who were there. Jesus would never pull punches whenever they were in his presence. He would tell it like it is, and he would speak very directly to them, and he would often call out their hypocrisy. And it was one of the things that you'll find that would actually make Jesus angry was the hypocrisy of people who should have known better. And so he's going to call this out as they've been, they've been criticizing who he's been hanging around. He's gone to some parties where there's been some sinners who are there. And so these people, uh, he's being criticized for speaking to people who are far away from God. And the reality is these people should have known better, but they didn't. And they had begun to, they had become so oppressive in their religion. They became so oppressive to those who were still seeking. Now there was another group of people who were listening and they were the notorious sinners. They were the people that, that Jesus was being criticized because of them. And Jesus was going to show the Pharisees that they were wrong about their mentality and their perception. And he was also going to show these people who were known as sinners that they were wrong about their perception about the love of God as well. So Jesus is gonna start telling this story. Luke chapter 15, verse one. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, now I love this right here, they often came to listen to Jesus teach. Isn't that interesting? Why would they come to Jesus? Because there was something that was different about him. He would, he would definitely not water down truth to them. He never watered down truth. He would speak truth, but what you will also find is that he would listen to them. He would look in their eyes. He didn't condemn them. In fact, John chapter three says that the Son of Man didn't come to condemn those who are lost. He came to save those who are lost. He didn't come to judge. He came to build a bridge. And so these people felt comfortable around Jesus where they felt uncomfortable around the religious people. They, 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 would, they would just, they, they felt judged and so they would never come around these religious people. Jesus' love for them was genuine and they realized this. So verse two says this. This, what was it? That, that they were known for coming around Jesus. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. What does it say? Say it with me, church. It made them complain. Now that also translates it made them grumble. 
They were mumbling against who Jesus was hanging out with, right? And, and, and that he was associating with such sinful people. And now it goes on and it says this, he's even eating with these people. You didn't do that, okay? I mean, especially if you're gonna go into the temple courts, you didn't eat with people who were unclean. That was the mentality that they had taken upon themselves. So Jesus sees what's going on. He hears the criticism. He knows that people are starting to get upset with him because of the people that he's trying to love and the people he's trying to receive. And so Jesus does what he does. He tells a story. He says this, if a man has a hundred sheep, now I want you to notice as we go through this story, how many times the word one is used because I want you to notice something in this. And we've been saying in this series that yes, we're seeing bigger crowds around here, but we don't ever want to lose sight of the one. Jesus never lost sight of the one, right? It wasn't about the crowds, it was about the one. Look at what he says. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to what? Search for the, say it with me, church, what? The, the one, the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he will, and I want you to notice the word joy and rejoice is all around this, okay? He will joyfully carry that lost sheep home on his shoulders. When he arrives, that's not the end of the story there, right? When he arrives with the lost sheep, he will call together his friends and his neighbors, and he will say, what does he say? Rejoice, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over how many? There it is again, one. Over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose, he's gonna say, let me give you another example. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses how many? Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search? She sees seeking and searching. People are definitely searching for something in their life, but I also want you to see God is always seeking us. Okay, so she, won't she search carefully until she finds it? In other words, she's not passive, right? She's not gonna be idle. She's gonna actively seek that which is lost. And when she finds it, She'll do the same thing. She'll call in her friends and her neighbors and say, what's the word? Rejoice with me because I have found my, my one lost coin there. I found that one that was lost. In the same way, there is joy. This is stories that are about joy. This is the joy of the Father. This is the heart of the Father. What does it look like when one repents? What does it look like when one is found? There is joy in the presence of God's angels when even, there it is, one sinner repents. If you, if you have a relationship with the Lord in any way, you know these stories bless you, don't you? Because at some point in your life, if you're in a relationship with God, you realize this, that at some point you were the one. At some point you recognized I'm, the, I'm that one. I'm that one that's been broken. I'm that one that has been lost. I'm that one that's experienced this kind of welcoming love of the Father. I've experienced this grace. Jesus loves the one. You are personally and individually important to him. He never stopped pursuing you. I love the song we sing around here called Reckless Love because it talks about loving the one, the one that the, 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 the one sheep that is strayed, that he's always that has said love, he's pursuing 
pursuing us constantly. Now Jesus is gonna transition into one of the most famous stories and that this is a story that people who are believers know as well as people who are not believers. They know this, it's a beautiful story and it's the story of, of what we would know as the prodigal son. But, but it also, and it, it probably rightfully should be called the story of the loving father. It could also be called the story of two sons because we see that there are actually two sons that are in this story, right? He's gonna tell this story of the two sons. Now, I preached on this passage earlier this year, but I came at it from the, from the angle of the younger son and, and the love of the father, and I'll hit on that for a second, but I wanna come at a, at a different angle, and actually it's the proper context of this passage because you understand who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to religious people. He's speaking to people who have kind of drifted from God, but, but yet they would claim they're in close proximity to God, but their hearts are not close to him. This story is one that was outrageous. As Jesus was telling this, you need to know that as he's talking to these Pharisees, they are probably rolling their necks, they're probably rolling their eyes, they, they're probably sighing loudly as religious people will do because the story he's telling is shocking. Everything he's saying is a shocking statement. It wasn't done in their culture, in other words, okay? So if you're taking some notes, uh, here's the first thing I want you to see. It was shocking because there's a request that is made from this son that is absolutely shocking. It's a shocking request. And what is the request? You know the request. If you know the story, we won't take time to read it today. This, the younger son goes to the father and he says, I want what I have coming to me. I'm leaving this place. Basically what he's saying is, you are as good as dead to me, dad. Give me what I have coming to me. By the way, the younger son had nothing coming to him because he was the younger son. In that culture, the older son would receive the inheritance and would allot it as he would see fit. But the younger son had nothing, but the father, the, the, the father is listening to him. This, this and, and I'm telling you, as Jesus is telling this story, these religious people are thinking, that father should slap that son across the face. That's what, you, you, would lucky, you would be lucky if you didn't get a beating for saying something like that to your father in this culture, right? And these religious leaders, they, you need to understand, they were the gatekeepers of what was deemed honorable. And this was a culture of honor and shame. And this story that Jesus is telling is one that is going to rock their world because what they would deem as honorable, Jesus is going to call it out and he's gonna call out the hypocrisy in it. And so they were thinking that this son should, in essence, be punished at this point. But what you're going to see, because they had a works-based system. It was all about honor. It was all about earning your way and earning your favor with God and with people who were around you. And these, these religious leaders believed themselves to be the architects of honor. They were the gatekeepers of honor in this society. In fact, they felt that Jesus was even shameful for hanging out with sinners like this. So these, as Jesus is telling this, they're, they're, everybody's listening now. Everybody is honed in on what he's saying. Jesus was gonna be setting up these religious leaders. They were again shaking their heads because to them what was just said was shameful. It was shocking that he would say this. But what you're gonna see is that Jesus is gonna tell it in a way that's gonna shock them even further because next you have a shocking response. The response of the father is just, is just so different from what you would think. It's a shocking response from this father. What does he do? He acquiesces. 
He acquiesces. He gives the son what he's demanding. Now they're really shaking their heads in disgust. This is not done. You don't do this. He should have been slapped at this point, but in in essence, what he does is he gives him something that he doesn't deserve, and then he allows him to leave. He gives him the free will to move away from him. What we find is there's some rebellion that happens, and it's a shocking rebellion. A shocking rebellion. He leaves home. He moves away, and the scripture's very clear, to a distant land. And, and what they would understand that is that he moved out of, out of Israel. He moved out of this area where people were thought to be, in their mindset, clean. He moved to where the dirty Gentiles were. By the way, if you're not a, do, a Jew, you're a dirty Gentile, okay, all right? And so he, maybe he went and hung out with the Samaritans, right? And everybody knows that what happens in Samaria stays in Samaria, okay? And this is what was going on. He lives it up, wild living. He boozes it up. He's with prostitutes. I mean, he's, he's doing everything that he can to squander his father's money away in a very short amount of time, all very shameful, very shameful and dishonorable. And they're hearing this, and the son sinks to depths that he never thought he would go to, right? He'd never heard the, the preacher who had said something like, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll cost you more than you ever think it, that you'll have to pay, right? He'd never heard anything like this. Now he's just engrossed in sin in his life. But as many fools will experience, the money will run out at some point. The money dries up. The friends dry up. Now he is in a place of utter brokenness. He is broke, he's hungry, he's desperate, he's ashamed. He can't believe how his life, has tur- how it's turned out. And now even as a Jew, he is taking the only job that he can get and that is working with, and this was shocking. This was shameful. He's working with the pigs, right? I used this picture earlier this year. He's eating, in fact, he's eating pig slop. His pay was to eat the pig slop. You see what they eat? That's what they eat. That'll make you a little bit question whether we should be having bacon or not. Maybe not, maybe not. I mean, he's at, he's at rough times. Even the pigs, the hogs are heckling him, okay? I mean, they're, they're getting after him, right? That's what I see is happening in my sick mind. But times were tough, but it leads to some definite brokenness. So here's what you have. You have some repentance that is gonna shock people. It's a shocking kind of life change. It's going to begin to happen. A shocking repentance. He comes to his senses, right? He says to himself, even my, even my father's hired servants have it better than I have it. He's starting to think about and formulate what he's going to say to earn his way back to the father. He's saying to himself while he's in the mire and muck of that slop, I just want to go home. I just want to be with my father again. My father was always so good to me. He always treated me with kindness. Maybe I can earn my way back. I'll I'll just ask him to take me on as a hired servant. Now remember, the Pharisees are listening and they are wondering how the father is going to respond. Will the father respond honorably or will he do something that's shocking? Well, we know that he shocks them even further with the reception. There's this reception from the father that is just something that they would deem as shameful. The father sees him in a distance. 
which indicates that he's been looking for him, right? He's been watching for him every day. He gave him the free will to wonder, right? But he's been watching and hoping. He had compassion for his son. He knew what this would lead to in his life. And then when he sees him in the distance, what does it say that he does, church? He runs, and I love that part, right? He runs to him. And and here's why you should love that part. He doesn't make him come crawling to him, groveling to him. The first instant that he sees him, he runs. And this is a shameful thing for a father and a nobleman to do. You see, noblemen and these men would not run. They would not expose their legs. But why was he running to his son? What was this about? Why didn't he wait for him to get there? Because he didn't want his son to go through the town there and through where others would be there. Because in that culture, when they saw that son, they would scorn him. They would shame him. They would, and, and the father runs to him shamefully in their culture. And he embraces his son. In essence, what is he doing? He is taking the shame that is, that is owed to his son. He's taking the shame upon himself at that point. Does that sound familiar to you? Right? And Jesus is telling this story. The father gets to him first out of love and out of protection for him. The father takes the shame of the son upon himself. And then you're going to see this reconciliation. The father, as he begins to speak to him, the father shushes him and he says, listen, I see that you don't have any shoes on. Hired servants, they, they, don't, they don't wear shoes around here. Get some sandals for my boy. Put them on his feet. I want everyone to understand he's my son. In fact, look at these rags that he's dressed in. Go get the best robe. By the way, you should know that this robe was the robe that would be worn by the father to prestigious events. It was a robe of honor. And he says, cover that filth up with his robe. Jesus is telling this story. And these guys are wagging their heads at him. I can't believe he's telling a story like this. Get the ring, put it on his finger. He's not a slave, he's my son. Uh, this ring was like, a, it was like restoring the credit card. It was like saying you're a part of the family. It was giving him authority. It was giving him identity. The point is full sonship is being restored. And folks, we all know that this is a picture of our salvation that Jesus is describing, but this is only two thirds of the story. This is only two thirds and so often we stop at this part. And I know that we all can relate to to the son, the younger son, we've all drifted. Maybe that's where you are today and you've drifted and and I hope what you've heard is the love of the father as Jesus is telling this story to us. We all can relate to the younger son and I wanna say if that's who you are today, I wanna say to you, welcome. We've all been in the pig slop, amen, right? And we've experienced the grace of the Lord in our lives. And the loving Father wants you. He wants you to be reconciled to him in faith. And the moment that you say you want to come home, he runs to you. He welcomes you home. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. It's grace completely getting something that you don't deserve. That is the love of our Father. So you can see why it's adequately called the story of the loving Father. So the father, what does he do next? He throws a party. He is overjoyed. His heart is bursting with joy. He says, let's have barbecue. Let's, let, man, we're, not, we're gonna have barbecue, all right? Let's, let's, someone get the fattened calf. 
We've been saving that sucker for something good, right? Well, my son who was lost is home. My son that was as good as dead, right? We thought he was dead. He's alive now. He was blind. Now he can see. We're going to have a party. Now, the Pharisees are not down with this story. They are not liking it. They didn't like it at first, and now they're really upset with what's being said. They hate this. Everybody who has been in this story so far, everything that they have done has been shameful. The son is shameful. The father is shameful in their minds. Isn't that interesting? And they're waiting for the story to take a turn. Surely Jesus is going to turn this around. Someone has to bring some honor to this. So now we have the older brother. And they're thinking, all right, he's going to start talking about this guy. Maybe he's our guy. Oh, he was their guy, all right. This is what it says. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the service, what was, servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was, say it with me, church, what? He's angry. Now, I want you to know that he's angry, but he's probably been carrying anger in his life for some point. And so pride begins to creep in, and he wouldn't go in. Now, we don't know if this is an actual story that happened. Most likely it wasn't. But remember, Jesus is telling the story, and everything he is saying is with purpose. He wouldn't go in. And probably at that moment, he looks at that group of Pharisees. The father's trying to throw a party and go get people. But you're so angry. You're so angry with his grace. You've forgotten the grace that you've experienced. Right? What's striking to me in the story is that the father hasn't told the, the older son anything yet. I notice there's no mention of a messenger going and fetching him, right? Go get him. Come, his, tell him his brother's back. But, but, but I want you to know this party wasn't a party just for the younger son alone. In fact, the party was more for the father. What they were celebrating was the joy and the grace and the mercy of a loving father. The whole village was celebrating this. Why didn't somebody go out in the field and get the older brother? Why didn't someone say, hey, they, they killed the fattened calf? No, he had to, he had to come, right? I, I, what I would suggest is that there was not a closeness in that relationship between the older brother and the father. Maybe he stayed there working and he stayed there going through the motions, but he was not tied into the father either. He was just as far away and distant from the father as the one who had wandered in proximity from the father. He had no relationships. You see, you can go through all the motions of serving the father, but still have no relationship. I've been in some churches where, where it's kind of like that, right? And it becomes really legalistic. It becomes about all that you do and there's maybe no relationship. And the, the point is that the younger son had outer sins that kept him out of relationship with the father. But the, but the older brother, he had inner sins that made him just as much a sinner as anyone else. So here's what we're going to see. We're going to see a shocking reaction from the older brother. Shocking reaction. Listen to how the older son begins to speak to the gracious father. This is shocking too. Even though he felt justified, you still did not speak to your parent in this manner. 
And so he could hear the music. He could see all the people. There likely were 100 to 200 people that would gather for uh, a meal like this in a party that a fattened calf would, would be uh, slaughtered for. And, he, and, and rather than running in, rather than running in and throwing his arms around his brother who had been lost, he's harboring resentment. And now pride starts to kick in. Pride probably him thinking, I've been a great son while this other son of yours has done this. Or it could be pride of, I'm not going to in any way show my father whatsoever that I approve of this. Jesus was so masterful in telling this story, right? These Pharisees thought the older brother is finally doing what's right. Finally, someone is stepping up and is going to be honorable in this situation. And they understand nothing of God's grace. And they, and they have even demonstrated that as you see the resentment that they resent Jesus. They're angry with Jesus. Jesus is telling the story for a reason. They're angry with the father, They're, or he's angry with the father, the older brother, he's angry with his, his younger brother. He's just angry. He hasn't experienced this grace in his life in that same matter, matter. And I want you to see this, what happens next. His heels are dug in. His father could have dug his heels in, couldn't he? He could have, hey, you can just stay on the outside. But I want you to see how Jesus, our Father, even loves hypocrites. Look at this. His Father came out and begged him. He went to him too. Do you see that? He's the initiator yet again. The Father is this initiator of this. He doesn't engage in a prideful standoff with his son. He loves his son. This son, when the father came to him, he doesn't hug even his father. He doesn't say, Father, I'm happy for you. He could have at least said this. I, he doesn't even say, I'm glad for you, Father. I know how much your heart has ached when your child wandered away from you. But he was so consumed with his self. This has become so much about him. Here's his reaction. He replied, all these years I have, what's the word? Slaved. This word is doulos here. He's saying, I have been, I've slaved for you. I've been slaving for you. He didn't serve out of love for his father. He likened it to slavery. And never once did I refuse a single thing you told me to do, right? Really? How many parents do we have here? Have you ever had a child that never refused you once? Okay, right. In other words, he's saying, I'm self-righteous. Remember, he's speaking to the Pharisees. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. He didn't say our friends. He didn't say our family, my friends. Yet when this son of yours, he won't even call him his brother. Have you ever done that when one of your kids does something wrong and you say, that daughter of yours, that son of yours, right? He won't even call him his brother. He comes back after squandering your money, which in essence what he's thinking in his mind, remember he's the older brother, he squandered my money on prostitutes. And what do you do? You celebrate by killing the fattened calf? What he's in essence saying to the father, and remember the father is a representation of God, this is what he's saying. Shame on you. 
shame on you, God, for loving people the way you love them. Oh my goodness. Who do they think they are, right? Shame on you, God. You ought to be ashamed of your behavior. And now we find out that the father loves even this hypocrite too. You see, in the Middle East, you didn't speak to a father this way without a beating probably. But instead of this, listen to how the father speaks to even this hypocrite. The father went to embrace him, right? Just as he went to embrace the rebel, the father loved him. He said, his father said to him, look, my dear son, you have always stayed by me. Just because you've stayed by me, though, doesn't mean you're close to me. You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but he is now, everyone say it, what? He's found. Have you experienced that grace of God? What the father is doing is he is inviting that son to the party too. You see, there's probably different groups of people who are here today, and I gotta wrap this up. The different groups of people, maybe you're like that younger son and you've wandered and maybe you just took a, a chance and you came here today and you thought, maybe, maybe I'll be accepted. Maybe I'll be loved and I hope that you heard the heart of the father today. And I hope you've heard the heart of our church that we love you too. We don't wanna be like that older brother. We wanna welcome you in. We're just as broken as the brokenness that's in your life. We've just experienced the love and grace of Jesus in ours. Or maybe for some of you, maybe you've, you've been maybe kind of like that older brother. You see, there's times where I can relate to the younger brother, but if I'm being honest, there are times where I can relate to the older brother too. And maybe there's been some judgment that you've had in your heart for somebody Maybe what God's trying to say to you is, what if that older brother had gone after, had chased after that younger brother and said, don't do this. Maybe you're the 99 in the sheep pen, right? And there's one that's gone. And we're gonna do everything as a church that we can in this community to go get the broken. Amen, right? And are we gonna throw a party when even one sinner repents, are you gonna go after those who are lost like the Father does? Here's your last passage of scripture and I wanna pray with you. We wanna celebrate when that one lost sheep is found because the Father says they celebrate. Ephesians 5, it says this. Look at what Paul tells the Ephesian church. Imitate God. Imitate God, be like God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life that's filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. You see, it pleases the Father when we go after the lost and we love them the way that he does. We don't judge them. We don't expect people that, that don't know the Lord to act like believers, right? They're not gonna act like a believer until they come to understand his grace. But we wanna love them the way that the Father loves them. We wanna welcome them. We wanna put those sheets out all over the fences and everywhere. And we wanna say to people all over this community, welcome home, amen? Welcome home, welcome home.
That's why we're in this series. That's why we're doing what we're doing. We've had to go to four services because we gotta make room. This is a great group today. Wonderful early service. The next one's gonna be full, so I gotta get y'all out of here, okay? And then after that, there's gonna be another one. And after that, there's gonna be another one. Do you know we realized the other day at Christmas, we're gonna have to go to five services. Do you know that? Do you realize next Easter, we're anticipating, we haven't talked about this as a staff, so they may quit after this week, but (laughs) how many, Randy? Probably six, because we had to do four this year. We had 1,800 this year. You see, we could, we could be like, man, that is just so inconvenient. It's inconvenient to come to the early service, isn't it? Some of you I know love it, but I know there's some teenagers in here that they don't want to be here right now. But you see, when you have the heart of the Father, you are willing to do whatever it takes to make room for the one. Amen? And we want to be a church that loves the one. So let's pray together. So our heads are bowed. Our band is going to go ahead and come on up. And I want you to listen to the words of this song. We're not going to stand and sing on this one. I just want you, you can keep your heads bowed if you want while they play it. I want you to listen to it. We want to ask God to give us the heart like he has for the one. So they're going to lead us in this song. And you just, you just ask God to show you what kind of heart you have today. Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Are you willing to invest your energy, your money, like the Father did, your love? Lord, would you speak to us today through this song?